0: Yep. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. In this episode, we're going to pick the brains of the awesome Tom Bainbridge on the lowdown on strength training and behaviour change. Great to have you here, Tom.
1: Cheers, Sarah. I really appreciate the invite. It's uh yeah, it's gonna be good.
0: Awesome, awesome. Um, so we know, well, I know that you're a very experienced and gifted online and in-person personal trainer but I'm a nutritionist and I just wondered if you could kind of tell us a bit more about yourself and why you coach in the way that you do, like your particular coaching style. and um, just may uh, tell some of the listeners um, a bit more about you.
1: Okay. So that's like a huge question.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: very briefly. I'll cover, I'll cover who I am and then I'll talk about the why I coach, why I coach. Cause I think that's way more interesting. Um, so I passed my level three PT qualification in like 2008 Uh, immediately before just about every public gym closed because there was a financial crash. So uh, I qualified as a PT and then went to do welding instead because there was no PT opportunities at all. Uh, So much like everybody else in the Northeast, I went to work for Nissan, Uh, did that for a while. Um, uh, Unfortunately, though, it's a 24-hour factory working continental shifts. So like two uh, two 12-hour day shifts, two 12-hour night shifts, three and a half days off um and that caused me a lot of mental and physical problems um wound up being off on sick for like six months of like extended sick pay um with like quite a lot of illnesses and stuff lost an awful lot of weight as I started to get myself pulled back together I was like right I need to regain some weight started back resistance training the first time I've done resistance training properly since I really qualified and what I found was that The way that I approach resistance training now, having done, I mean, I'd started a degree and stuff, like I'd become a little bit more scientifically literate and so on. Um, It was a little bit more evidence-based. It was a lot more effective. And that showed me that a lot of what people were being told to do uh, wasn't useful. And I thought, well, I can do this better. Um, So started working in a local gym as a personal trainer, rent in space. And then I moved from there to working in a different gym rather than renting space like it was a different arrangement so that was good moved online worked on a project with a guy called ben coomba for the last like 10 years teaching an online nutrition course and slowly built my business and now i'm 100 an online coach so kind of the usual thing qualified got ill training and nutrition helped me feel better wanted to share that with the world that's kind of how i ended up where i am now why I coach the way I do, I think, is more important. So my coaching approach is extremely person-centric. And it's interesting because I've been asked this question a couple times recently. And I'm trying to make the answer more concise. But I think the way that I coach is informed primarily by two separate things. The first one is, and this is going to sound really from left field, uh, I don't 100% believe in free will um i don't think there's any psychological ev- uh, i don't think there's any psychological evidence for it and i think the philosophical arguments in favor of free will are lacking so what that means is that means uh, in short a person and their actions are a product of the environment in which they're raised and an environment in which they live and i think when you start to take that view of things it becomes very difficult to assign blame to people for not looking after their health as it were And what I see when I work with people is there's a lot of friction between what people want, what people think they should be doing, and the guilt that's associated with that. And I think because of the way that I view things and the way that I approach things, that leads me to wanting to help people understand that they're capable of way more than they think they're capable of. And also to try and like remove a lot of the guilt and the shoulds and the expectations that people have that would potentially be reasonable within a vacuum by helping them understand that we don't live in a vacuum. Mm. Um, The other thing that I do a lot is so when I, studied with uni doing my degree a huge focus in the health sciences is this idea called the biopsychosocial model. So the the biopsychosocial model I was introduced to was in reference to pain. So pain has historically been thought of as a pure biological thing. You damage a tissue and therefore it hurts. But actually um biopsychosocial says like well it's biology yes but it's also psychology and it's also sociology and that all influences our experience of pain so for instance um a huge part or a a huge predictive factor in persistent lower back pain is depression and stress Mm -hmm. if if lower back pain was a purely biological thing then depression and stress wouldn't make a difference it's just that you've damaged your back and that's why it hurts um But by viewing exercise and nutrition through the biopsychosocial lens, we can also further understand, again, coming in with the free will thing, we can understand why people make the food choices they make. And I believe that if we can help people understand why they're making the food choices they're making, we can make the biggest difference to them versus just like browbeating people because they're not eating enough vegetables or getting people to hyperanalyze whether they should be eating organic tomatoes instead of regular tomatoes. And then when it comes to the training thing, helping people appreciate things from a biopsychosocial perspective. It sounds complicated, but literally all it is is asking people how their day has been and then helping them to use how their day has been to manage expectations and understand their experience of niggly injuries and helping them understand the the daily fluctuations of of training performance. So that's 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 why I coach the way I do.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, w- what I find really interesting and really helpful is how you present your coaching how you present information how you maybe like bust myths like nutrition myths or training myths um so it's, it's your delivery of that um do you find that um is that your natural rhythm like is that or do you do you find it uh, or have you ever found it difficult to present information in the way that you do now compared to say 10 20 years ago to people that you work with
1: I don't think so um i i was very fortunate as a teenager to have a really good english teacher um and like my, my english teacher went a long way towards helping me model the way that i communicate yeah. two primary principles that i use for example is p so p-e-e point example explain so if I'm talking to you about how uh, body mechanics, I could say something like body mechanics influence the way your, your squat will look. For example, if you've got longer legs, you're probably going to lean forward. The reason that's important is, and that literally comes from that lesson I learned when I was like 12 and that just for whatever reason bored its way into my brain and became like a core memory. And I use that all the time. The other one is the rule of threes. So if I'm talking about something I will give you usually three examples or I'll give you three varied iterations of a thing. And that has become so ingrained that I don't even think about it anymore. There's also, there's there's some stuff like I don't um very often. That's very deliberate. That's a lot of practice. (laughs) And there's probably other little nuances as well. But yeah. Oh, the, the, the other final thing as well. I'm a big nerd when it comes to formal logic and understanding like inductive arguments, which is, um, I'm not perfect. An inductive argument would be every morning a dog walked past my house, there's a dog poo on the pavement, therefore that dog did it. That's inductive. It's evidence, but that that might not be true. It could have been the owner for all I know. (laughs) A, A deductive argument would be Two plus two equals four. That's deductive, And the way I explain things is as I'm talking, I try to think of holes in that argument so that it could have been the owner, for example. I think about that all the time. So I try to shore up those holes as I'm talking, Mm -hmm. which kind of helps me to explain things better, I think, rather than leaving ambiguities and such.
0: Absolutely. And I can see how that would lend itself to you, helping your clients to kind of build that understanding of why they do what they do, what's helpful, if it's helpful, why it's helpful. And also the reverse, like if maybe something isn't so helpful. Um, And those examples are really cool because then obviously someone can connect with those. And then when you explain, um, then they, they kind of get how they can implement your advice and, and, and your coaching. um. I'm just curious in terms of fat loss, which is an area um, we both work in, I know, but um, in terms of like um, the fact that we know many people do struggle with um, how and how to start their journey, how to start their health and and wellness and fitness journey and even um, might put off starting to commit to to that journey uh, out of fear, out of uh, maybe previous negative experiences. What problems would you see coming up? Like what might uh, the top two or three problems you see coming up from a mindset perspective for people just getting started like beginners if you like to to health and fitness
1: absolutely the biggest problem that i see with people who start fat loss and we all know this it's they try to change too much too soon and that sounds so trite now that people kind of switch off when you say it but what i mean by that is like Oftentimes, people have lost weight in the past, and they've regained it. And what they think is like, oh, well, I just need to go back to what I was doing before, forgetting that they didn't just go from naught to zero when they did that before. So when a person has historically eaten really well, or they've eaten low carb or, or whatever they've done, as advisable or not as that is, it's been effective they forget that they didn't just go from not to zero they took various different steps there and it's unrealistic to expect yourself within a different circumstance to be able to do that the second thing is kind of related One common thing that I see a lot of clients do is they look back at success they've had in the past with exercise with nutrition or just the shape that they've been in. And it's like, I want to get back to that shape. And I completely understand that. Unfortunately, however, what we need to remember is that if 10 years has passed, you're not the same person anymore. Your Mm -hmm. circumstances change significantly. Like before we talk about age and hormones, which is all sort of interesting, I suppose. But the biggest changes that I see with people is like, well, you've had two kids and a dog since then. And now your job's more complicated. And I'm not saying that your body has changed because you've had two kids. I mean, your schedule's changed. Your life is different. And you can't hold yourself to the same expectations as you could have potentially held yourself to in easier circumstances. I think the final issue that a lot of people have mindset-wise when it comes to nutrition is Hmm. self-comparison. Trying to think of a way to, to explain this. We have this thing in our society of, like, um, hard truths or being cruel to be kind. And I don't think you can do that. I don't think you can be cruel to be kind because those two things are polar opposites. I think you can be honest and sometimes honesty can be uncomfortable, but cruelty implies intent, right? Mm. So... Whenever you talk to someone, if you're like, you need to sort your life out, you're going to die, you need to cut out all of these things, you could have pitched that in a more tactful way, but you elected not to. That's not being cruel to be kind, that's being cruel to be cruel. And one of the issues that I see is that this is how people talk to themselves, and they can convince themselves that all of this browbeating is necessary, all of this browbeating is important, or all of this browbeating is effective even when actually it's very very difficult to do difficult stuff to change your life in a positive way if you're doing so from the point of view of self-disdain because why the hell would you go out of your way to look after somebody that you hate you can't do it positive life change has to come it has to come from a position of care and love and acceptance and if you're trying to do that from a position of detesting and self-disgust It's always, always going to fail. And this, of course, becomes a self perpetuating cycle where, like, you are disgusted by yourself. So you're going to force change. Forcing change doesn't work. So you're more disgusted with yourself. And this cycle just goes on and on and on. And a huge part of what I do, going back to what I was saying about helping people understand that they're a product of their environment and so on, is trying over time to undo that. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy, but I think that's probably the most necessary thing. Like, if you can't say 10 nice things about yourself,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you're not going to be able to do anything that has to that has to come first
0: that's a brilliant point actually would you tend to suggest like um what James Clear talks about like the habit stacking or or micro habits you know kind of
1: I'm unfamiliar can you enlighten me on that one
0: (laughs) so like where you kind of connect um an old habit with a a a habit you're trying to embed um so uh you Go out for a walk, and you um come back from the walk, and you embed the habit to say have a bit of protein, a decent high protein breakfast, or something before work, something like that. Mm. Um, yeah. And when you're ordinarily go for that walk, um, um, so things like that. Or you can even kind of, I guess, sandwich, you know, a kind of a, an mm. old habit, uh, a habit you're trying to embed, and then um, add a another old habit that sort of like solidifies the whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah um,
1: yeah, that can for sure be useful. Um, one of the things that I think people get wrong is this idea that motivation has to come before effort when motivation tends to come from like a positive experience that you get when you're moving towards a goal which means that action has to come before motivation and one of the ways that you can do that is the habit stacking that you mentioned do something small that you know you can succeed with and that success can then give you the confidence to try something slightly bigger and over time that can develop into much greater and greater change whereas if you're waiting for or expecting yourself to be able to force yourself into motivation towards big change out of nowhere It's never going to happen. So yeah, absolutely. That kind of habit stacking, where you go for a walk, and then maybe okay, now we're going to get some a good breakfast after the walk, and then after that good breakfast, we're going to do something else. Yeah, that can that can definitely work. It's a really good way of looking at it.
0: Mm -hmm. And I guess, as you say, it's it's maybe managing someone's expectations as to not doing too much of that too soon, like not expecting lots of different new habits to be embedded in one day.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I actually think there's an interesting thing to do with that as well. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs is this psychological model, which is kind of outdated, but it's useful for like illustrative purposes. And sometimes I'll work with people who've lost weight, and they want to keep losing weight, but they have found that they've plateaued. So perhaps they've been like, clinically overweight, where it's causing health problems, and now they're at a healthy weight, and they want to get super lean. And they're like, why is this not working anymore? And I think a huge thing that people don't realize is because at that point, your reason for weight loss has changed massively. And so necessarily the arguments and the the discussions that you have to have with yourself are going to change as well. Mm -hmm. A person who's saying... I feel like I really want to lose weight because I need to look after my health so that I can live into a, a, an older age. Is a different person to a person who is saying I want to get lean for aesthetic purposes. And although the action of fat loss is basically the same, you do a calorie deficit for a bit, and and that's it. Uh, because your motivations are different, the relative value that you place on that in comparison to other parts of your life is going to differ. Like if a person's not having a dessert, for example, because they're working on improving their health. That's going to be a lot easier than a person not having that self same dessert in the same like social setting because they want a six pack because that's what people on Instagram have. And managing expectations around that's really interesting. It's where you've got to be really person centric because some clients do want that six pack for reasons that are valuable to them, and mm-hmm. some people kind of don't. And helping people to navigate that's really fun.
0: Yeah absolutely um with regards to you mentioned motivation there i Mm. i wondered what motivates you in your training and your health journey as a as a coach because i think some people can be quite curious about that you know because you're Mm. teaching other people how to do this too i just Mm. it'd be interesting just to hear what your experience is uh
1: so like why do i personally train you mean Uh,
0: yeah and i suppose how do you do it on days you don't want to like like, yeah. what are your kind of hacks, if you like, in terms of... Is it the, the just do it? Just kind of don't think, just do it?
1: So, I I talk about this sometimes, but I don't think there's, like, a dedication thing for a person like me training because I need the same amount of motivation to train as a person who really likes gaming and needs to go and play their games. Like, I literally train because it's fun. Mm-hmm. And you don't need a lot of motivation to do something that's fun. I also it's maybe a little bit conceited like there's there's also like a I appreciate the benefits that I get I think being really strong is really cool so I'm gonna do that but I don't think it's any deeper than that like on days where I can't really be bothered it's like well what what am I gonna do just not train (laughs) like (laughs) next week I'll be in a worse position and I don't want that so I will but I going back to like the environment thing like I've got I work from home for myself broadly but though not entirely choosing my own hours like we had this scheduled in i couldn't move that so if i wanted to sleep in today i couldn't so like my schedule's not that free but like i have the opportunity to train in a way that a lot of people don't so it's easier for me but yeah the big thing i think is find something that gives you a reason to train rather than thinking that you have to train and then trying to like mold yourself around that because you don't have to lift weights you could run you could row you could play a sport you could do there's a, there's a million different ways to be active and the one that's best is the one that you will get up on a rainy day and want to do anyway and if resistance training isn't that for you like that's kind of fine there'll mm-hmm. be other there'll be other stuff that is though i would also argue that the way that you resistance train will play into that like there's there's lots of different ways to do it
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah
1: it's just it's fun it's enjoyable and i like it and i eat well because it makes me feel good and
0: yeah. so you're connected to the benefits of your behaviors as yeah. well you're, yeah 100 percent. and i
1: think anyone who does this long term is
0: yeah exactly yeah and i guess that's what helps consistency does that feeds hmm. right into consistency across across time and yeah. um, so that's one Equally,
1: thing Sorry, equally, the, the consistency thing, I think also when you're doing it for the sake of like enjoyment and fun, consistency gets way easier because if I have a day off, I'm not going to then throw in the towel and be like, oh, well, it's all knackered because I'll still enjoy training tomorrow. So I can just go tomorrow. Yeah. Um If I eat in a way that's not necessarily in line with like my goals and such, um that doesn't matter because I'm doing it because I enjoy it and I just didn't want to do it today, but I'll do it again tomorrow because I still enjoy it. And that like nonchalant chill approach is so much better than the like hyper anxious, I must be a hundred percent, that a lot of people fall into even if they don't say it explicitly. Like a lot of people would never describe themselves as being like a 100- hundred they have to be hundred percent on it and they get really anxious if they don't, but that is how it manifests.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: if you can't eat pizza and crisps for two days and then go back to eating whatever you normally eat as if it was nothing then moving towards that will improve your consistency way more than working out how you can avoid the pizza a little bit more
0: yeah because we can get into that sort of black or white um all or nothing Mm. Uh, i have to ban all the foods i have to Mm. ban all the things that i love and then Mm. that makes you want that even more so that's Mm. not going to help consistency either Whenever you're, you know, when you're, when you're getting that rebound, I guess, from, you know, unnecessary excessive deprivation mm. of, of treats and things. Um, but yeah, um, I was also just wanted to ask you as well, like in your opinion, how much uh, does having the right support network contribute to a successful, um, you know, journey in terms of weight loss or if it's uh, strength training or however someone's health and fitness journey might look like?
1: I'd go so far as to say it's essential. Um, There's a... Oh, shit, what's it called? Uh, There's a psychological model called self-determination theory, um, which basically posits that people are naturally inclined to do things that are good for them. So what this model kind of implies is if you're not motivated to eat well, if you're not motivated to exercise, um, the reason is because you're lacking one of these three fundamental pillars, and by helping to shore up those pillars or by working to shore up those pillars, uh, the motivation will just kind of like come out the end rather than you trying to force that motivation itself. Um, so the three pillars are uh, competence. So you need to feel like you're actually capable of doing it, which again goes back into like the brow beating. like if you tell yourself that you're rubbish and useless, then you're literally undermining one of the three primary things that is necessary to be there if you're going to do this at all um the next one is autonomy you need to feel like you're doing it off your own back you need to feel like you're doing it because you want to because you choose to which again goes into these like external expectations and trying to force things like you need to do it because you want to and then the final one is relatedness you need to feel like you have a support structure and what that support structure needs to be will look different for, for different people um for some people it'll be um, a kind of vague support structure because they felt really supported during their childhood and now they know that there's a lot of people who go to the gym and they kind of feel like a part of that and for mm-hmm. some people it can be more explicit all the way up to like a coach who's there working with you um and i think like for some people that get it from home for some people they get it because they go to something like crossfit where you've got like a big community in the gym like what your what your desired relatedness looks like of course is going to be individual but the the overall point is that yes you need a support structure you need people there with you we are a social species you can't get away from that and no no amount of like dogged individualism will undo millions and millions and millions of years of evolution that has brought us to be the most complex social animal that's ever existed like you need other people in your corner you can't you can't bootstrap your way to success you need you need people around you
0: yeah great point great point um and something that i've noticed coming up in in client check-ins and it's happened to me as well when training does not go to plan uh Mm. it might even suck um And I just wonder, like, how can we learn to get better at coping with the crappier um, training sessions and not give up? And in terms of mindset, but also maybe like bypassing mindset and just kind of doing something different or.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're always going to have bad training sessions and you're always going to have bad periods of training. Like not every session is going to be great. Uh, Dan John who's one of my like coaching idols he said there's the rule of five so out of every five training sessions one is going to be an absolute world beater one is going to be absolutely horrendous and three are going to be completely mediocre and if you can maintain that for like 10 years you'll get really strong (laughs) i think i think that's a really good way of looking at it because that just kind of implies that like yeah Training is going to be rubbish sometimes. I think it's evidence of an all or nothing mentality, though, which we all know is like not a particularly good thing. When someone will have a bad training session, that becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Like today, literally like two hours ago, I posted a video on Instagram. So I'm working on my front squat at the minute. Um, My goal is that I want to front squat 180 kilos by next summer. Um, The front squat weight I had today, like two weeks ago, Uh, I hit for three reps at RPE8. Today, I hit it for a single at about RPE12. And in an all or nothing world, that would like really piss me off. And that would be like, well, this training session is rubbish. All I did was I was like, okay, I'll adjust the weights that I'm going to use for the rest of the session. And I'll get a session done. And I came home and I feel really good because I got a good session done. You need to understand that like looking at the biopsychosocial model, your performance is not simply a reflection of effort. It's a reflection of effort in combination with a ton of other different factors over which you have very little control. Mm -hmm. And so if you allow training performance to be something that gets you down, what you're doing is you're leaving your mood open to random chance. And I don't think that's a really good thing to do. All you can do is you can judge the amount of effort that you put in and the numbers and the weight on the bar will be what it will be. And as long as you're training sensible and your nutrition sensible, over time, those numbers will go up. And I think if you think of it any further than that, and if you get any deeper into it than that, um, you start to place unrealistic expectations of yourself. You've got to think, okay, a lot of the Uh, ways that people view training a lot of people a lot of the ways that people program training is like percentages so it's like oh um, we're going to do this percentage this week this percentage this week this percentage this week and that has its place Um, but that was all developed in the 70s before we knew about the biopsychosocial model Mm -hmm. Um, that is all based on an old model of how the human machine responds to stress and you can't sit there And write a program 10 weeks in advance that says that you're going to lift more. And you certainly can't say, oh, well, I did 50 last week. So I'm going to do 52 and a half this week because I'm stronger now. It doesn't work like that. So, yeah, you need to be more fluid in your expectations. And as long as you know you're putting an effort, you need to be happy with that. Because, again, zooming out, if you keep putting in that effort in 5, 10, 15 years time, you'll be in a really good spot. If you look Mm -hmm. at things on such an acute level where it's like I can have a bad week. Like that shouldn't even really be a part of your thought process because you can't have a bad week. We're not looking at weeks. We're looking at training careers. You've got you've got your entire life to get good at this. You're going to sleep badly sometimes.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's it's having that long term approach, isn't it, as well? Not just like today I have to absolutely max out and I have to hit (laughs) the big numbers. Mm. Um, And there's also something about that perfectionism that creeps in and Mm. being aware of that and taking that step back and thinking Mm. about like reframing that as like something I the way I do it now because I used to be very perfectionistic about how I trained Mm. and it was like a disaster if I didn't like hit a certain number um Mm. and now it's like something is always something um Mm. and what's wrong with that kind of thing so I think that lends itself to that I guess more self-compassionate view Mm. um that i think is much more useful um for consistency and because otherwise in the past i might have not trained for like days because i huffed Mm. over that one session because i didn't do that well and so um and that that was like lost lost time
1: yeah like there's no other hobby which weight training is to an extent that you would expect yourself to be great at every time like the guitar players have shit sessions yeah um people who play games have rubbish games i also do archery sometimes you have an off day like if you let that be a reflection of you as a person as opposed to that session in the time that it happened you, you're you knackered because it, it, it's impossible um i saw a quote recently i don't know if it was a quote or just someone said something but like it was something along the lines of like perfectionism is just a procrastination with a pretty name or something like that yeah. or it's like Perfection is impossible. Yeah. So if you're holding yourself to the standard of perfection, you kind of need to ask why that is and what that like what that standard is replacing. Because if you're holding yourself to a standard that at the outset you know you can't achieve, you're kind of giving yourself free ticket not to bother. Yeah. And I think that's it's a difficult thing to recognize you're doing, but once you do, it kind of it, it helps you to remove that perfection. Cause we all go through that. Like yeah. I'm not gonna say that I I was fell out of the stalks bag like knowing all of this. Like I've thrown a huff and I'll still throw a huff. Like if I go in for a deadlift session and I want to hit a new PB and my warm ups feel really heavy and I'm 10% off the PB and I can't lift it. Like I'm still gonna I'm still gonna chuck a huff and be annoyed about it. Like (laughs) but you just have to get over yourself. (laughs) Like you're allowed to you're allowed to feel irritated. You just have to get over it.
0: Yeah. And not let it ruin your day or the entire session. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah absolutely yeah um just another thing i wanted to pick your your vast brain about is also um the thing that i've been seeing a lot online uh, about glucose monitoring Mm. it's quite in in right now to to be Mm. talking about that and uh, some clients have asked me about it recently too um what's your take on it all um in terms of how useful it is um or necessary
1: I think a huge problem that a lot of people have is... No, I'm going to start that again, because I don't think that was right. I think a huge problem with the way that people are taught to think about the world is that there's a difference between is and old. Okay? So this is like a, a philosophical problem that's existed for ages, um and and it's really interesting if you're a very boring person but the general gist of it is i can't say that something is true and then use that to justify a recommendation on its own to do about that thing Mm -hmm. so for instance um if i was to say that running is one of the sports that is associated with more injuries per human session than any other sport. That is true. Running is one of the sports that is associated with the most injuries. That does not justify the recommendation that you shouldn't run because there's more to it than that. So that is true. And it will kind of imply that you shouldn't run, but I can't make that recommendation. Well, equally, there is a individual variation between human beings in terms of glucose response to a given meal. So if I eat a cookie and you eat a cookie and all of the lovely listeners eat a cookie, Each of our bodies will respond in a different way to that glucose presentation, even though we've been given the exact same amount of glucose. And there's a million different reasons for that. And in fact, if you eat a cookie day, and if you eat a cookie in a week, due to things like your sleep quality, due to things like other things you've eaten, due to things like recent training experience, uh, your glucose response is going to differ. That does not justify the recommendation that we should eat differently. Mm -hmm. And so all glucose monitoring and all the Zoe project itself does is it points to these clinically useless markers and uses them to make entirely scientifically unjustified recommendations. And it has this veneer of legitimacy because everybody who works there has a PhD. And that's that's all it is. There is no good evidence that a healthy person's well-being would be improved if they micromanage their nutrition using something like a glucose monitor or anything like that even a lot of like the things that the know we're not talking about glucose monitors specifically but glucose monitors it's a zoe project um even a lot of the things that they espouse uh they're just not evidence-based so one of the things that they do is stool sampling right um The thing you need to know about stool sampling as it relates to the Zoe project and stuff is your stool gives you a sample of the microbiome that you have in your lower colon that is not the totality of your microbiome. And so that snapshot itself is functionally useless when it comes to making prescriptive recommendations, unless something is like seriously out of whack. And at that point you would know because you'd have symptoms. So if as a healthy person, you are sending some of your poo to Tim Spector, you are going to receive useless information based off an incomplete data set. It would be kind of like saying that you need to increase or decrease the temperature of your home based on a recommendation taken from the inside of your fridge. Like it's it doesn't work like that. And the problem that I have, and the, this underpins a ton of the arguments that I have. The problem I have with the Zoe project is that Tim Spector is smart enough to know that and he's selling it anyway. And that should tell you everything that you need to know about everything else that that man says.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think that's really useful because a lot of people including myself get curious about oh this is a new shiny Mm. thing on the internet what's this about and and also i think we still live in that culture of the quick fix so Mm. i mean we all sometimes kind of want that a little bit but it's about taking a step back and realizing it doesn't need to be like that and it's there's value in kind of doing the work um but also when something isn't even evidence-based Mm. I think it's about yeah what you do with your clients as well as teaching them how to be critically, how to be critical thinkers about what's out there because it's necessary. Otherwise, it just makes your health and well-being journey much, much more complicated than it, and stressful than it needs to be.
1: Oh, God, 100%. A big thing as well, though, is like the the quick fix is often used as a criticism. Like, oh, you're just wanting a quick fix. We literally all want a quick fix. Nobody is out here looking for the slowest way to do things. Like if you want a quick fix, it's fine. Uh, The question you've got to ask is like, is this quick fix actually going to be beneficial? And when it comes to a lot of stuff out there, uh, it, it just isn't. And part of the problem with that is that in all honesty, nutrition, in terms of like what you should do, is relatively boring. Like, if you eat a roughly Mediterranean ish diet with lots of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and plenty of lean proteins either from like lean animal sources or non-animal sources if you're plant-based and you stay hydrated and your calorie intakes roughly appropriate that's going to give you about as much benefit as you can get from nutrition and everything else on top of that is micromanagement that just increases the difficulty that you're going to experience in terms of adhering to that diet for increasingly minuscule marginal gains I will go so far as to say that if you're eating the rough diet that I just mentioned earlier, you can stop thinking about nutrition and just use your brain power to think about something else like managing stress better in your life, uh, working out a training pattern that's going to suit you or just like doing a hobby. So you've got life that's worth living. Yeah. The, the The selling of all of these things is based on this idea that we can optimize, 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 and you don't need to. It's just, it's just tech language and marketing.
0: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Um, do you see um any particular dieting myths, nutritional specifically? I guess uh, myths mm. getting in the way of 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 people's goals. Um, when when you're working with someone in terms of their fitness or weight loss journey,
1: that's a good question because. I think there are a lot of nutrition myths out there. And in this space, it's super common to talk about these myths. But then when I work with people, I don't know that many people believe in them. Yeah. And I don't know how much it's like a a while ago and I don't know why people stop talking about this, but we started talking about filter bubbles, which is this thing on social media where because of the way algorithms work, you are presented more of what you interact with. And that means that your your timeline, especially on really powerful algorithmic social medias like Instagram and TikTok, is so individualized that you just see more and more and more and more of the same thing. And you can be led to believe that that's like the norm. Mm. So when I'm working with, other fitness professionals there are some things that crop up individualized nutrition is one of them so that all of the stuff that i've just ranted about you, that point's been covered um that'll be one um there are still quite a few people who have hang-ups about sugar mm. uh very very briefly the issue with sugar is that it's really tasty and you can fit a lot of it in a mouthful that's broadly it also it's not very good for your teeth um and then when I talk to my neighbors who are just not fitness people, um they're worried about um, eating food too late and they think that they shouldn't eat carbs. and so I suppose yeah, there are a lot of nutrition myths out there, but it's kind of hard to draw it's hard to draw patterns because it really depends on the demographic. Yeah I think probably the biggest one that's like difficult for people. To break through is the food quality thing in terms of how much quote unquote damage uh, a pizza will do. And for me, the biggest nutrition myths are not necessarily around foods themselves, though a lot of people have hangups about like additives and stuff, which is broadly unfounded. Uh, it's more the consistency thing, what consistency looks like. The biggest myth is that consistency looks like 100% adherence, I would say. Because yeah. consistency does not look like that. Consistency looks like pretty good adherence almost all the time.
0: Yeah.
1: And going back to adherence after a period of non-adherence. That's what consistency looks like. And I would say that is easily the hardest one for people to break through because the the guilt that a lot of people experience when they don't do what they feel like they, quote, should do is a bigger barrier in my mind than false assumptions about sugar Or false assumptions about seed oils and stuff like that which while they're not true it's kind of like believing that crystals matter in that like it's not true but like who gives a shit (laughs) like like, enjoy your crystals if you want to try and do that you don't have to but like I don't really care Um, if you want to charge your crystals by moonlight like do it it's fine whatever Um, I would say the consistency thing is the bigger issue yeah
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Tom, I just wondered if we could get personal for a minute and uh, if you might share any big plans you have this year personally and or professionally.
1: Uh, This year, my plan is to work really hard until about halfway through December and then just log out of everything and live in the woods. Uh, No, (laughs) my, um, (laughs) no, my, um, so I, I've had a bit of a year this year. Um, We'll not go too personally, but there's yeah. been some like fairly big things that have been fairly negative have happened like two people around me, which has been difficult. Um, but then also uh, I mentioned at the start of this podcast that I was working with slash for Ben Kumba for like 10 years on the BTN Academy uh in the next 10 days i will no longer be associated with btn just um not because we fell out just because i'm moving on Mm -hmm. uh so i'm in the in the process of handing that over to some incredibly capable hands so if you're a btn student and you're listening to this didn't stress you can have a better time when i'm gone it's fine um (laughs) she's uh, zarina's fantastic absolutely brilliant person you'll be fine um so i'll be moving on from that uh I also finished a degree that I've been doing for thirteen years this wow. year um, on the open university. So I've just been kind of trucking along with that since I was like twenty, which is insane. like over a third of my life I've been doing this degree and I'm done. Um,
0: that's consistency. <laughs>
1: so there's been there's been a lot of like change this year. so next year is going to be a period of actual focus on my business mm-hmm. rather than my business plus contract work plus learning plus everything else
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so um keep your eye out for a podcast of my own Woo-hoo! keep your eye out for i will be doing some other bits and bobs but the main thing that if you want if, if you if you think i'm reasonable to listen to you yeah, look out for a an as yet to be named tom bainbridge podcast uh to which sarah will of course be invited oh but yeah oh look out for heart. that that's probably my big plan and then in my personal life uh there's a tent that i want to buy where you can have a fire in it uh so i'm gonna buy a hot tent and go camping in the snow that's that's my personal point. unplug
0: from society
1: exactly that Yeah.
0: <laughs> brilliant um thanks so much for sharing that tom um just to, to to finish off then um where would people go to to learn more about you and connect with you <clears throat> uh
1: yes yeah, so i'm really bad at social media so all i do is one thing so you can join me on instagram uh my instagram is at tom bainbridge coaching you can join me there If you click the link in my bio, you can also sign up to my weekly newsletter. I've recently changed the format of that, so the weekly newsletter is now every Tuesday I'll be sending you some lessons that have come out of my coaching in the week prior. So it'll be full of like useful, useful, and you said useless there, that's a very bad sales pitch, Um, some really useful little tidbits that you can potentially apply in your own life, some interesting lessons that I've taken. So yeah, uh, join me on Instagram, join the newsletter, shoot me a message send me names, insults whatever you want
0: (laughs) well thank you Tom and Loki for for joining us today um it's been amazing to have you on Tom and thank you so much for your time and I'm sure the listeners have got so much out of this thanks again
1: you're very welcome thanks again for inviting me
0: cheers